Hey, welcome again to The Art of Relationships, a podcast with Dr. Tim Milhoff. I'm Chris Grace, and we have uh, an opportunity to just visit and talk with you and Tim with each other about some really cool topics related to relationships. And one of the things we began exploring last time was this notion of some researchers and some therapists and some people out there that we would call relationship experts. One in particular was John Gottman. People ask all of the time, uh, what do you think about him? Is this a good book or would you recommend? a book, and we both would recommend some of his material and books. So what we did last podcast was just have a discussion about some of his findings, some of the research that's out there. Um, And I think we want to continue that podcast because there's a little bit more out there. Yeah, sounds great. We, uh, based on our podcast, Noreen and I named our living room the Love Lab. (laughs) We just went for it. And it's awesome. We got a pony in the middle of the Love Lab. Okay, go back to listen to the other podcast and you'll pick that up. Go back to understand the pony joke. (laughs) That's right. Well, let's do this. Tim, you had mentioned that there There are a couple of ways we're going to look at this. This isn't a John Gottman love fest. That is, it's not all positive. There's a lot of things out there uh, that uh, could be somewhat critiqued. And and so we're going to just kind of hit what we think are the most important points. And uh, we'll go through those and talk about some of the findings. Almost like Gottman's greatest hits. There you go. kind of what we're doing. You mentioned one we were talking uh, that I think is absolutely fascinating. And that's kind of... Um, how much do you recognize what your spouse does for yep. you? Explain a little bit yep. what Gottman means by that. Yeah, um, in his particular studies, one of the things he had found is uh, that people, um, in terms of turning towards each other instead of turning away, he calls that this notion of, he, I think he uses this thing called an emotional bank account. And he says, what happens is when you turn towards each other, you're making a deposit into this emotional bank account so that when things get a little bit rougher, you're, you have some savings to pull on. You right. You you can get over the rough patches, but what's interesting is as we make a deposit into this emotional bank account, there are some couples that are doing something that is a little bit disturbing, and it's something we can all pay attention to and learn from. And that is about fifty percent. Well, let's put it this way: of the unhappily married couples, many of them are underestimating by about 50% Hmm. their loving intentions. That is, the good thing that their partner is doing, they are underestimating how much they're doing that by about 50%. In struggling, unhappy marriages, they don't seem to recognize what they did before was something that they were being treated well. They were making a deposit. They were seeing their spouses doing something kind and loving and intention, and they were beginning to underestimate that, which is a fascinating finding. Noreen and I were speaking at a marriage conference, and just to illustrate this underestimating, a couple walks up to us, the, the wife is first, and she says to me and Noreen, my husband doesn't do anything for this marriage. And I looked at her and I said, can I ask you, is he here at the conference? And she said, yes. I said, well, isn't that one? And <laughs> Chris, right. uh, it was like, so, so go back to the last podcast yep. and you have to go back and re-listen. But we talked about the five to one ratio. Yep. Five positive interactions for every one negative interaction, John Gottman would say is his uh, successful marriage. So what you're saying, Chris, based on another Gottman observation, I'm not recognizing the five positive interactions. I'm, That's right. If his research is true, That's right. I'm only recognizing maybe two two and a half of those five interactions, and that's causing massive problems. It is. And it's not, you know, I I think psychologically some other researchers in my field have found that sometimes we just, we don't always pay attention to another person's world. And they ask 
asked them one time, they asked different people, roommates, friends, and married partners about how much they did house cleaning and housework. Oh. And almost every, the numbers always added up to more than 100%. So they would ask, you know, two roommates, how much house cleaning <laughs> do you do? The numbers were like 140%. Oh, I do about 70. Oh, I do about 70. And all of a sudden, yeah. nobody got to 100. In other words, yeah. it was always overestimating their, their own and underestimating the other. And I think what happens is it's kind of natural for us to do that. But what some of this research that research that people have found, including Gottman, is that when you do pay good attention to, mm -hmm. uh, you're able to more clearly see those things that a person is doing. And just to just for our listeners to know that Chris and I aren't just objectively de in a detached way looking at Gottman. We actually try to put Gottman into practice in our own marriages. So let me share one way that Noreen and I have tried to do this. A every marriage gets in a funk, right? Yep. You have great seasons where you're making deposits into the emotional bank, and then there's just seasons where you're not. So Noreen and I, when we've gotten into this funk, have applied Gottman, what you've been just been talking about, by saying this, the day will not end until we've complimented each other at least once. Yeah. And if you're kind of in that funk, it's the first compliment yeah. that's the hardest, yeah. right? You want to give like a pseudo backhanded <laughs> slam. So you, you compliment a person at the end of the day by, well, you know, you weren't that much of a jerk today, you know? <laughs> but, but once you start it, yeah. get the ball rolling, you really start to recognize yeah. what your spouse or roommate is doing for you, and yeah. we need to really prime the pump. Yeah. Dennis Rainey, who is uh, the founder of Family Life Marriage Conferences, has this great phrase, get in the habit of catching your spouse doing yep. what's right. Oh, I love that. And let's note that yep. and celebrate that. And the book of Proverbs says, life and death is in the power of the tongue. Yep. To compliment a person and say, hey, I, I noticed you did that for me. Thank you for doing that for me. I, you know, what we need to do is another podcast, and I think we ought to, on the topic of gratitude, yes, right? Bob yeah. Emmons has a great book out there on gratitude and the power of being grateful yeah. and recognizing those things, because that what ties it, ties it all together for us when we start to recognize these good things our spouses are doing. So let's try another one. In relationships, um, there's a, a finding that Gottman has thrown out there as well, that in conflict that people have, whether in marital conflict or other conflicts, most of these conflicts fall into what they call a perpetual problems mm. rather than solvable. Yeah. Yep. He says up to 70% of conflicts, right, are, up, are perpetual. They just keep going. And some solvable ones, great, we can take care of those. But what does that mean when you hear that? So it goes like this. Some couples are struggling with the idea, for example, of how they spend money. Mm, and Gottman yeah. would say, if your view on money is probably something pretty deep, pretty built in, and you're not just going to simply change when you get married to have a v different view of marriage. So in ours, Elisa loves to save up to do one thing, to spend. So mm -hmm. she likes to mm -hmm. save, to mm -hmm. spend, and she kind of sets aside things to spend. Well, I'm more, I save to save. And so here all of a sudden, now we have this kind of right. almost perpetual conflict about money and whether or not we should spend it or not. So one of the things is, is how do you identify and know the difference between a solvable problem and a perpetual problem? And that's some of the material that Gottman will provide, some ways to see the differences in those conflicts so you avoid this gridlock. Couples we've talked to have been arguing about the same thing for the last seven, eight, 10 years. They still keep arguing about that's it. Right. And Gottman says, oh, okay, here is something that we need to work on is how do you get to a point where you can still accept your spouse's personality or your the friend's differences that you have 
and honor that and respect that even though you view things very differently. That, that word compromise is one that we've kind of lost today. We've lost it in politics. Yep. We've lost it in the disagreements we have. But in marriage, when you hit this perpetual conflict, yep. you have to get it out of your mind that I'm going to fix my spouse. Yeah. We're going to nail this one. We're yeah. never going to talk about it again because yeah. I'm going to win this debate. And Gottman's saying, no, because nobody's right, right. or wrong That's in right. this situation. That's You're going right. to have to compromise, which in Latin means middle way. It does. Which we hate that. We it hate does. the middle way because yep. I want mostly my way. But we got to compromise because, or, or we're going to be miserable. Think of that couple for 10 yep. years. Yep. Same yep. argument over and over and over. I think if there's one verse that is challenged in our marriage that Elisa and I apply a lot, it's in, it's in the Psalm, Psalm 139. And he talks about it at the very beginning of the Psalm and at the end. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Mm. Try me yeah. and know my anxious thoughts. And then he says, see if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me. That right there, when we can apply that in this conflict or any other time, Times we're kind of dealing at gridlock a little bit and say, Lord, what am I doing? What can I do to fix, to change? It, you know, that's one start, and there are a lot of other things. So some good research out there, some good yeah, findings. The perpetual conflict reminds me of something else Gottman said that I've always thought was fascinating. Mm -hmm. He said, show me a couple who argues, and I can save the marriage. Yeah, good. Show me a couple who no longer argues, yep. I'm not so sure I can, I can save the marriage because they don't care enough to fight for That's it. right. And Tim, that is leading into this topic, I think, that is an important one because one person who is no longer fighting might actually be falling into one of what you called a danger zone that he yeah. calls. You're in what this, as you said, the four horsemen of relationship apocalypse. And one of those is they are just simply withdrawing and they are no longer yeah. paying attention or stonewalling. So let's talk about those. What have you learned and what, what do you like about the four horsemen? And so Gottman crashed onto the communications seen by this uh, claim. And again, remember we said this isn't a love fest of Gottman. Um, if you typed in, if you Googled Gottman mm -hmm. and critiques of Gottman, you're going to hear some, mm -hmm. some concerns about maybe some of his pronouncements, his confidence. But the quote that uh, came into communication theory circles was this. Gottman said, I can watch a couple argue for roughly three minutes and predict in the 90 percentile, 91st percentile, if they're going to get a divorce or not. Mm -hmm. Now, that's amazing. Like, I could do that. Yeah. Like, if a couple was having an argument and one person had an axe <laughs> in their hand, I'd say, okay, this couple's in trouble. I'm going to say 95%. This is not going right. to go well. That's right. So, Gottman was interested to say there are precursors that if they're habitual, yeah. which means they're happening over and over and over then he's confident mm -hmm. that this couple is really heading in a, what he called the cycle of negativity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that introduced, and it's kind of a corny concept. I think you could find something better. But he introduced all of us to what he calls the four horsemen yeah. of yeah. a relational apocalypse. But each yeah. one of them is really interesting to think about. Yeah. And the key forgotten would be this is habitually present, yeah. right? right? It's not that you, you have a bad day and you knock off like two of these horsemen. Yeah. It's that we're regularly seeing it. So, Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about what the first horseman is? Yeah, these horsemen are danger zones. Sometimes he calls them. They're, they're almost like attitudes that can poison a relationship, mm -hmm. and they're very destructive patterns, and they build upon each other. And what happens is they sabotage this couple's ability to communicate, which is right. why it landed in, in the communication area. Yeah. Um, and, and probably uh, the first one, uh, there, there's no particular order, although one of these is mo more dangerous than 
and probably the others. But the first one he mentions is criticism. Um, and a criticism would be like this. Um, you could tell the difference is someone says, you know, we don't go out as often as I'd like to versus you never take me anywhere. Yeah, that's so, good. so the first one is a complaint, right? That's pretty healthy. It's just saying, you know what? Um, I want to, we just don't go out as often as I'd like to. And that that's, that's pretty healthy. When you begin to now attack a person's maybe character or blame them, mm -hmm. that is when you've maybe fallen into this harmful level of what he called criticism by saying, you never and those are pretty absolute statements, uh, but if they take up residency in any relationship, um, mm -hmm. it could begin to undermine some foundations. Yeah, and to be even tighten it just a little bit more is what Gottman would say is, of course you have the right to say to your roommate, I'm upset at how you leave your clothes around the apartment. Of course you have the right to do that. He'd call that a criticism. That's right. But it goes negative if I make a value character yeah. judgment. Yeah. And I say, listen, you're a slob, and I know yeah. you don't care about me as your roommate, yeah. but could you at least pick up your shirt? Yeah. Right there's the, the saying, yeah, yeah you're attacking a person's yeah. personality, and the slob becomes, that's when it becomes this blame and attack, which can be now one of the horsemen and one of the signs in a relationship that is going bad. Which leads us to a really cool idea that came out of uh, Com Theory and psychology, is what we call the self-serving bias. Yeah. So what happens for me, like let's say we're both messy in the apartment. I always, with the self-serving bias, give myself an out. Mm -hmm. Like if you were to say to me, hey, by the way, you're, you're leaving stuff around the apartment. My out is, hey, you know I have a test on Friday. You know I've been incredibly busy. Yeah. You know this. But I, when I look at you, I don't acknowledge that you also have a test. Yeah. I say, no, you're a slob. Yep. So I always have the out. There's an excuse for my behavior. Life's crazy. I'm tired. I haven't been sleeping well. But when I look at you, I make an absolute value judgment on your character, self-serving bias. Yeah. So if two people, if I'm walking down the, the street and trip, it's because something reached up and grabbed me right. and tripped me. But if you trip, it's because you're clumsy, That's late, right. you know, you're whatever. And so you... Right? I was pushed, you tripped. That's the kind of idea of seeing it from our own perspective. So let's try another one. Yeah. His, uh, besides criticism, this one I think Gottman would call the most um, damaging of all the, the four horsemen would be the, the, the notion of contempt. Um, this one is something that um, the dialogue would go something, you know, someone would say, hey, you know, why did you not do this work uh, that I asked you to do or this job and that, you know, that's ir being irresponsible. And then someone reacting by almost with a, an attitude of contempt. It's kind of like this insult or name calling mm -hmm. yep. Yep. or mocking the nonverbal is eye rolling right that kind of you it's it's combination yeah. we say of uh anger and this notion of disgust yeah. and that's called contempt and that can do some very significant damage to a relationship and chris this is what's interesting about marriage is uh, noreen i've been married 26 years after 26 years, you know what your spouse's Achilles heel is, mm -hmm. right? I know what not to kid Noreen about after 25 years, 26 yeah. years, right? Even in our friendship, we, we love to joke with each other. There are just certain things you don't joke about. So when he's talking about contempt is I either explicitly go there, mm -hmm. 
Though I, I think, man, you'd have to be in a pretty rough place for mm-hmm. me to explicitly do it, mm-hmm. but I can implicitly do it. Yeah. Like, for instance, um, Noreen just doesn't like it if we're getting ready to leave. And Noreen knows we got to leave. I mean, we have to be at this place like at 730. It does no good for me to look at Noreen and say, and let's go. Mm-hmm. Right. And I even know not to do that. Yeah. But the nonverbal is interesting because what I will do is I will simply just stand there yeah. and I'll push my glasses up <laughs> and just rub my nose a little bit. And I'll just do this. I'll just start to say something under my breath, but stop like, oh, I wish we could. Okay. What's beautiful about that is it has plausible deniability. Yeah, Noreen can say, what is that? I said, I'm sorry, I'm pl- praying for our trip. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but no, so we choose to go yeah. in yeah. those very sensitive areas. Yeah. And that is what he calls contempt because I, I do want to hurt yep. you. Yep. And, and that's dangerous. It is. Contempt, uh, because of its emotional component of something like disgust yeah. uh, and anger, yeah. starts to uh, probably erode very quickly. Now, by the way, just just as a, a reminder, these four horsemen can show up in any relationship. That's right. But it's, it's when they take root. It's when they, right. they build in and start to become part of a relationship over a long period of time that they can be so damaging. But contempt can, can pl- fall into this category, right, of, no, I just don't like you. And he, by the way, he would say he could watch a couple. If they're showing clear signs of contempt, his accuracy of predicting divorce goes, that, that's one of his most important variables, up to right. 80%, he says, just if they're showing contempt. Another one, uh, Tim, he talks about is defensiveness, right? This kind of follows close on the hills, yeah. right, of contempt. It's, yeah. It involves making excuses or uh, you know maybe even denying responsibility, right? And all of a sudden now, um, I am saying, oh, it's not true. You, it was your turn. You said you were going to do this, right? That's right. That's right. And this is so damaging because you never can have a conversation. So go back to the roommate situation where it's a messy apartment. Uh, defensiveness would be this. I say to you, hey, Chris, would you mind like just putting away the dinner dishes like after you're done? And your response is, what, I'm the only one who leaves dinner dishes? Yeah. Dude, last night you left dinner dishes. That's defensiveness, where it's like every time I bring up a critique, you hit me with a counter critique. So now it's like tit for tat, and we never get to the issue. And defensiveness is, man, that that can really uh, derail productive conversations. Yeah, you're both forced to start pleading innocence and saying, oh, no, I wasn't like that. That was, you know, that's not true. You know, it was your turn. And all of a sudden now you're fighting about something that missing a very critical moment of being able to understand at a deeper level yeah. uh, what's going on there. So yeah, so we have criticism, right? That yep. that can that can turn into unhealthy. We we have this notion of contempt, which is the kind of the almost this emotional component uh, of a. Uh, and then there's defensiveness, and then the last one. Uh, is something he calls stonewalling. Other yeah. people call it, you know, there's a lot of different names for this one. Bu- you know, building a stone wall around our emotional yeah. hearts and lives. We call it the exit response as well. I either emotionally exit or physically exit. So, so you want to talk about this issue and I'm just done. I- I'm finished. I'm yeah. not talking about this issue anymore. Why? Because one, it won't do any good. Yeah. So why even talk about it? Why get all worked up about this issue? We're not going to resolve anything. Uh, you, I'm a disappointment to you. Well, wow, newsflash. Yeah. I'm a disappointment. Yeah. So that's where Gottman says, show me a couple who has enough emotional energy to argue. Yeah. I can work with it. Yeah. But show me where one of them yeah. just says, fine, you're yelling. Wow, newsflash. Like yeah. you've never yelled at me before. I don't care. And you yeah. either just sit there 
and you're zoned out completely, yeah. or you physically get up and just leave the room. And and what happens is that we call that the chase response. Yeah. Is is sometimes I've heard spouses and roommates and friends say, "By golly, I will get a reaction from you. Yeah. I'm going to gonna... get a reaction." And mm-hmm. if that means having to scream, mm-hmm. if that means having to throw a, a glass across the room and shatter it against the wall, I will get your attention because the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference, and you will not be indifferent to me. And that, we've seen some, obviously that's where verbal abuse can enter into very quickly, Mm -hmm. physical abuse, I will make you sit here and talk to me if if I have to sit on you, if I have to hold you. Mm -hmm. And so he he says the culmination of these four horsemen, the result is stonewalling, and that's just a really hard place to be. It is, and I think if, um, the the research that stands out to me too, Tim, in this, is that 85% of the time, Time, it's going to be the male partner in, in a relationship, and it doesn't. That's who not who does for, the stonewalling. Yeah, yeah who yeah, does yeah, the yeah. stonewalling, and it's not always the same. You know, you might fall into that fifteen percent as a male, right. or on the other side as a female. But um, but as a general rule, that idea of kind of turning into a wall of silence, you know, yeah. is is really the problem. So let me make an observation yep. and then ask you a question. Okay. Uh, observation. Another thing Gottman says, because again, you might be listening to the to this and and our female listeners might be thinking, well, that's really interesting that it's the man Mm -hmm. who is the stonewaller. Mm -hmm. And the reason is Gottman talks about another concept called flooding, that men get emotionally flooded very quickly. And kind of like a person who's in charge of a nuclear reactor, when you start to realize, hey, this whole thing's going to blow, men shut down the system. So better for me to shut it down yep. than to blow in ways that I might I might regret. So Gottman makes a point, and, and again, whenever I, I share this at a marriage conference, it is a weird reaction from women because in a way it's like, well, I'm supposed to treat him like a baby. I, I have mm-hmm. to handle him with kids' gloves. But remember, Gottman says, ladies, men can only really handle one or two things at a time. Mm-hmm. So if you sit with your husband mm-hmm. and you say, okay, I'm upset about this, 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 mm-hmm. this, and this, mm-hmm. he's shutting it down because at the second one, mm-hmm. he started to feel overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And often what we do in life is so busy that we want to talk about the finances. We want to talk about the kids' schedule. We mm-hmm. want to talk about the cleanliness of the apartment, and we don't have time. Mm-hmm. So finally, you have the conversation. And I this has been building up forever. Mm-hmm. I've stopped at Kinko's. I've gotten a colored chart to show all the ways you're <laughs> wrong. So when we finally have the finances, I, I've got 10 things yeah. that I'm mad about. Yeah. Gottman will say, ladies, you just need to know, he, he shuts down after one or two. He gets yeah. flooded. Yeah. Here's my question to you. If we have listeners driving in the car going, wow, the four horsemen, yeah, yeah. Uh, criticism, check, defensiveness, check, um, contempt. contempt, check, stonewalling, check, yeah. are we the 91%? Yeah. So what do we say to a listener who says, yeah, th- this is habitual. You've mm-hmm. just described our weekly interactions what would we say to this couple? Well, I, I think um, it's a it's a great question, Tim. I think a lot of uh, people have to face this and, and do it in a sober, you know, careful way, uh, because actually one option is going to need to be professional counseling Absolutely. and therapy. Yeah. Because in, in particular, if these have been in this area and you've been in doing this and it's been 
in your relationship for a little bit of time now and more routine to break out of that is going to take an outside right. person to help you navigate this. So, you know, we would recommend for, for couples that are struggling in that way, uh, you know, counseling um, and a lot of prayer and time and thinking through and just giving them some skills on how to do that. So that's... And I would say more tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, what I love about the conferences that we do, the Going Deeper conferences yes. or a Family Life conference, um, is you have a relational toolbox. Yeah. So when you open that toolbox, it's like anything. A a good friend of mine was going to help me put up a basketball hoop. And he said, hey, grab your tools. Let's do it. We'll stick this in the garage. Well, I I go into the house and I grab Noreen's do-it-herself toolkit. That's it. There were like three tools. They all had lavender handles. My friend looked at me. He said two things. He said, one, you're not a man. Two... You cannot do that job with these tools. Yeah. So they're just not. If you're right if ones. you're looking at the four horsemen, yep. and you're regularly doing two of those, one of those, four of those, mm-hmm. then you're going to need relational tools to get out of that. And yep. counseling is a tool, yep. but also there's great tools that you can get in a one day conference, a two day conference. Yep. Gottman does offer some tools in each yep. one of his books. Yep. But you're going to have to have a pretty good toolbox yep. and then an expert to even show you how to use the tools. Yep. And that's why some of his books can go through these and help you, like you said, giving you some of this equipping, some of these tools to help you do it. You know, just as we get ready to end here, I think there's, just as a summary, um, we started by talking about if Gottman said if there's one thing that he felt like, one word, you know, it was the notion of friendship. Yep. And that was in a previous podcast we talked about that idea that it's so important. You know, that reminds me, and just to end here, one of the studies, he asked wives, do wives feel satisfied with the sex, romance, and passion in their marriage? And the determining factor, if wives feel that, uh, by 70%, that's the determining factor, is the quality of the couple's friendship. Wow. For men, the determining factor, if they feel satisfied with the sex, romance, and passion in their marriage, by 70%, is the quality of the couple's friendship. Wow. So at the end yeah. of the day, what happens? These four horsemen yeah. come in. They they start to erode yeah. this friendship and this relationship. They start to erode it, and, and then you go. There's your problems that can be helped by investing in this emotional bank account, as he says, and working on a friendship. There's another study that just reminds me of another study where women were asked, would you rather have sex with your husband or a conversation on the couch? Yeah. And over 80% said sex. Yeah. No, I'm kidding, <laughs> doggone it. No, they said they would rather have a conversation, right? That kind of connection, that kind of friendship, that kind of interview. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, Why right, can't these studies ever yeah, I don't, I don't turn know. out like you'd hope maybe they would? <laughs> hey, this is good stuff. Gottman is well worth a read. He, his book needs to be in your library at least uh, to consider it and to critically evaluate it. But boy, he's got some good thoughts and a lot of people use Gottman. They're aware. You've even been trained in Gottman's yep. stuff. You yep. and Elisa. Yep. Level one training and it's great stuff. stuff. And uh, so tell you what, let's, let's look at some other researchers next time and talk about some books. Like for example, Gary Thomas has some stuff out there on sacred purpose, sacred marriage, things like that. Be awesome. Yep. And uh, let's just continue this conversation. Yep. Great podcast. Love to have you guys. Thanks for listening and uh, have a good day.